Welcome to House to Home Podcast. It's here that we'll learn how to cultivate an eternal haven in our temporary world. So grab a cup of coffee, do the dishes, or even take a drive in your car. Whatever it is you do while listening, I hope you feel right at home. Mason with me here again today and we are going to be diving right into answering more of your questions. So next question is how do you make the home somewhere my husband wants to be or how do I make the home somewhere my husband wants to be and with that we also had someone send in tips on how to respect my husband more in the home and around the kids I feel naggy. So we felt like those kind of went together. So someone is asking, how do they make the home a pleasant place for the husband? And also, how do I respect my husband more in the home because I feel naggy? Well, I think first of all, it's important to recognize that that is a virtuous thing, that it shouldn't just be a place for the wife. You often hear kind of chauvinistic thinking, talking about a woman's places in the home. Well, it goes the same way with the husband. The husband, if he's supposed to manage his household well um, and be a good steward of the house that the Lord has given him, he should be at home when he's at home and should feel that way. Um, So part part of doing that is making it a welcoming place for him. He should want to be at home. If he feels the need to go out of the home all the time, that probably means that he is not feeling at home, that he's not feeling welcome. If he's feeling like he needs to be at the bar or wherever away from the home, there's probably a reason behind that. He's not getting something that he should be getting at home. So I think that that can be a plethora of different things. It can be aesthetics. If your house is a just girlified place to be, (laughs) like a, a husband doesn't want to be in a house that just feels like a nail salon uh, or something like that. Like it, it should feel not so womanly, but also not so manly either that either person in the marriage should feel yeah. unwelcome. Like you were talking about earlier. Yeah, it shouldn't it, be a man cave. Yeah, it shouldn't be a man cave. It shouldn't just have... Um, NASCAR or like your favorite baseball team all over the house, but it also shouldn't have like hot pink all over the house, I don't think either. <laughs> right. It shouldn't over overly reflect either spouse. It should be a reflection of the entire household and the heart behind it. So everything that you have in your house should be a reflection of an internal reality. So there's a husband in the house, there's a wife in a house, there's probably kids in the house. So how does your house reflect who you are as a family? Is it a family welcomed place? Is it a, um, is it only a wife welcomed place? Yeah. Aesthetics are actually really like they really impact us what is around us is going to impact our mood and how we feel in the home and like you said if you have children in the house most of the time people know that if you have children in the house and people can't tell that you have children in the house something's probably a little bit weird about that Mm -hmm. (laughs) maybe your children don't feel at home you know um our house looked a lot different five years ago before children you could tell that we were newlyweds We didn't have a whole lot of furniture. We didn't have a whole lot of pictures on the wall. We had zero toys. Um, Now our house is much more lived in. You can tell there are children. Uh, You can tell that our home is a lived in home. 
what's around you aesthetically and even just how you live in your house says a lot about it. So if your husband is welcomed at the home, then there should be things there that your husband enjoys. And then just besides aesthetics, I always like to go back to the scriptures, which there's lots of different ones in the Proverbs. But the one that comes to my mind first is Proverbs 25, 24, that says it is better to live in a corner of the housetop than in a house shared with a quarrelsome wife. And that kind of goes with that other one where the other question was how to respect my husband. I feel like I'm always nagging. Aside from aesthetics and like what's in your home and making your husband feel welcome in that area, one of the best things you can do is make him feel welcome as if you value him being there. You're not quarreling with him all the time and nagging at him that he's not doing things the way you want, whether that be the to-do list on your fridge or he didn't load the dishwasher the way that you load the dishwasher or he didn't feed the kids the way you should feed them. We all fall into that. Um, For whoever asked that question, my advice would be to pray about it, that if you feel like you're constantly nagging at your husband, maybe there's something inside of you that's bitter. Maybe you're harboring unforgiveness towards your husband or towards circumstances. A lot of times, even when we're taking things out on our children, we're harboring some sort of unforgiveness inside of our hearts. So if you find yourself constantly nagging at the kids or at your husband, you probably need to check something inside of your heart and get that right and pray about that because you can't change your husband. Only the Holy Spirit can change your husband. So if it is a problem with your husband, give that to the Lord in prayer But don't go at your husband naggy. And I know that that's easier said than done, but go to the Lord with it. Don't go to your husband with it. Because if he doesn't feel respected, then again, he's not going to feel welcomed in the home. Right. And it might seem obvious to do this, but don't think it's done very often. If you're wanting to learn how to make your husband feel more welcomed and how to respect your husband more ask him. It'll probably catch him off guard because men don't get asked that question very often. Wives don't very often say, how can I make this more of a welcoming place to you? It will catch most men off guard. And I think that's a bad thing. I think that men should have an opinion in the way that their household looks, is ran, and things like that. I mean, they're the head of the household, so it would be crazy to think that he has absolutely no say and it doesn't matter at all, that his job is just to stay away from it as much as possible. And that's another one of the problems is that the way our society has ran, even in more conservative thinking about men and women's roles, is that it's kind of pushed men out of the home. Like men's job is to get out and be working outside the home and the woman's supposed to stay inside the home. And I'd like to push back on that and say that that's not necessarily a biblical model. We should be working together as a whole household and the husband should have a say in the way that things are being ran in the house, right. the way they look, the way they function, and all of that. It's just a, a rare thing for the husband to even have a say anymore. It's assumed that, number one, husbands don't care, and number two, that the wife is just not going to even bother asking because they assume that they don't care. Right. And I think it's a problem. Yeah, I agree. I like this quote by Martin Luther. It says, Let the wife make the husband glad to come home and let him make her sorry to see him leave. If you are a naggy wife and you know that you're a naggy wife, I know, again, that that's easier to say that you want to change it than actually change it. But like Mason said, if you know you're a naggy wife, just go to your husband and say, I know that I'm gripey. (laughs) How can I change that? Like, what can I do to make you feel more respected? 
So just lay it out there. Like say, I know that I have failed in this or that I'm currently struggling in this area. You know, what should I do to help that? Other than going to the Lord in prayer and taking it to him. And another thing too, this is just a simple practical tip, but if you're constantly nagging, turn your mind to something else. So if you are constantly thinking about how your husband forgot to take the trash out, how you told him to do something for the kids and he didn't, how he put his socks right next to the hamper again. If you're constantly thinking about those things, then you're going to be constantly given to the temptation to gripe about those things. So pick up the socks, put them in the hamper and go read your Bible. Pick up the socks, put them in the hamper and put a podcast on. Pick up the socks and go clean the toilet. Like just do something else. Get It's not that big of a deal. <laughs> it's a pair of socks and I know it's aggravating, but put your mind on something else and you won't be as tempted to gripe and complain if you're not going from the socks to then to the trash to then to the dishwasher thinking he just can't do anything right. <laughs> Clearly, I need to make sure I get my socks in the hamper. <laughs> I just know that that's a... Actually, you're pretty good. You leave your clothes by the bed. That's where they're always at. But you know what? Every morning I come and I pick the clothes up. It's no big deal. All right, next question. We had someone ask how to go about disagreements and beliefs, biblical and political, and not being on the same page. Do you want to start that? Nice. Um, I want to start by saying I'm really thankful that I have a wife that I am on the same page with. Um, Because just even hearing that question sounds like it just really stinks. Yeah, it's hard. (laughs) So before I even give any advice, I'd say that I don't have much practice or experience with it. Because we've been pretty like-minded from the start. And maybe that's just a way to start to say... Before you marry someone, make sure that you think pretty similar to them. Yeah. Um, make equally sure that yoked. you're, yeah, the, the Bible talks about being equally yoked. Um, so if you guys are on totally different spectrums of what you think and believe, you should try to work through that before you get married. But someone is going to be listening and say, hey, I've been married for six or seven years now. We didn't think that through, and here we are now. So now what do we do? And the answer is not divorce. Right. Yeah, the answer is not <laughs> divorce. The The answer is strive for unity, to have unity above your personal thoughts and opinions. Even if they happen to be moral in nature, you can still, without compromising your ethical mind, strive for unity and right. make sure that you're keeping your marriage above whatever your personal belief is. Now, Again, that doesn't mean compromise, but it does mean making sure that you are putting your spouse and your love for them above whatever that belief is. Because at the end of the day, unless it's life or death, just a completely core belief, which most of the time people aren't married that have core beliefs that are opposite. I mean, it happens sometimes. Uh, For the most part, you can keep those core beliefs intact and still be able to be married to someone. So that looks like you not being naggy and complaining about whatever this topic is, because it can be anything. It means keeping your mouth shut about it most of the time. And when it does get brought up, being very gracious towards the Mm -hmm. other person um, and being receptive to what they're saying in a understanding way like you should actually be trying to understand them not just defeating them you you shouldn't have them as your enemy you should be trying to strive for unity in your marriage and whatever that topic is 
the goal shouldn't be to win the argument. Mm -hmm. The goal should be to... Be closer together. Yeah, you do want to strive for the common truth. You you both should be seeking truth. Mm -hmm. But like you said, it's just as important that you guys stay unified while you're seeking that truth. So you don't have, like Mason said, you don't have to compromise your beliefs in order to maintain unity. So just make it a practice that before you approach your husband or your wife about something that you know you disagree on, or maybe it comes up as a surprise that your husband or your wife are falling into new biblical views or religious views, rather, or new political views. Maybe it comes up as a surprise, but just make it a practice not to approach those topics without first have been in prayer about that and seeking the Lord and His guidance on how to approach those. Like Mason said, be gracious with that. Again, there hasn't been very many things that we have disagreed on in our marriage. There may be things that initially we have disagreed on, like Mason may have brought something to me or I may have brought something to him as food for thought type deal. That's often. Often he will come home and say, you know, I was studying this today. What do you think about this? And I don't ever just jump on the bandwagon and just say, because he's my husband, I'm going to believe that. And he knows that. And he has enough respect and dignity in me to know that I have a mind of my own. And he trusts that I will study things out and pray about things. But there are many times where, yeah, he comes home and gives me food for thought, or I give him food for thought, and we work that out together. Very few times have we disagreed on big things. But I do know for one example, about five years ago, before our first daughter was born, Mason came to me and said, hey, what do you think about pedo-baptism? Just randomly. And I don't even know if I knew what that meant. And I was like, what is that? Some of our listeners probably don't. (laughs) Yeah. So pedo-baptism is infant baptism. So baptizing children. So uh, we are part of a Presbyterian church that believes in pedo-baptism now. But at the time we were not, we would have called ourselves Reformed Baptist. And that's the church that we were at was a practicing Reformed Baptist church. And I was just like, uh, well, I mean, I don't believe in it, obviously. <laughs> you know, we're at a Reformed Baptist church. And he was like, well, I've been, you know, looking at it, studying it. And he gave me some papers and some scriptures. And I took a long time, a good few weeks, looking at those things, praying about it. So it wasn't something that I just immediately agreed with, just because my husband was leaning towards that. He gave me research. He came about it rightly. He came about it. He approached me and asked me what I thought about it. It wasn't, I'm pedo-baptist. We're going to baptize our child. At the time, I was pregnant with our first child, so this was a big decision. So he approached it really well. He gave me the tools and the research so I could look at this stuff myself. And through prayer and reading God's Word, I have came to the same conclusions that pedo-baptism is the way to go. At the beginning, I was hesitant. That's one example of something that we initially maybe disagreed on. And another way to make that work better is for husbands and wives to be communicating well in the early stages of any transformative beliefs. So if you come across something that is interesting to you as a husband, bounce that off your wife from the start. Don't study that. Yeah, don't hide this and study it in isolation until you've come to your conclusion. And then you finally have made up your mind. You're absolutely decided. And then you come bring it to your wife and say, all right, this is it. This is what we're going to do. That won't go over well for you. And don't expect it to. Don't expect her right, to just right. be like, okay, sure. Right, because you didn't come <laughs> Or vice that. versa. You didn't, you didn't do that either, probably, because right. when you probably interacted with it for the first time, it wasn't immediate transformation of mind. It was, 
you were introduced to this, it was intriguing, you looked into it, you were convinced over time, and I think that it can be a beautiful thing for husbands and wives to actually fall in love with things together. So like different ideas can come together and there can be a really amazing cohesion that happens as husband and wife discover something that they believe is true, but they're still unsure about it at first. They can fall in love with it together and that brings an even greater bond to the marriage that these two people that love each other have found something else that they love and they're working towards that goal. Yeah, that's good because if you're hiding it, so say the wife or the husband is looking into something, whether it be biblically or politically or whatever, and they're hiding that, they're researching it, and they're not mentioning anything to their husband until they're thoroughly convinced and have all their arguments laid out, which is tempting. It's tempting for some personalities to do that. It's tempting to say, well, I'm not going to say anything until I know what I know because, one, I don't want to lead someone else astray. I want to make sure I know this is what I believe. And so it's tempting to just search it all out and have it completely, I'm positive, this is this, and then bring it to your husband or wife. But then they are so bombarded because this is the first time they've heard you talk about it. And you have to realize that you are one and mm-hmm. that it is communication is very crucial. And that way, when you come to them, they don't feel like you were hiding something yeah, from you, them. They weren't you know? included. Yeah. So the next question was about our prayer life. They asked, what does your prayer life look like in marriage? So prayer is going to look different in every household at different times. It's going to look different. So our prayer life has not looked the same even within our own marriage from start to where we're at today. So when we were first married, we had a lot more one-on-one prayer sessions, but it was also because that's where we were in life. That was the only other person in the house to pray with. But once we started adding kids, that changed a little bit. So when we had a Nora, we started doing family prayer at night. Um, so we had kind of a larger prayer meeting, I guess you could call it, every single night. We pray all throughout the day, too. We pray at meals, pray at pretty much any kind of event that you would think that might have prayer. Uh, we pray. We pray when we're going on trips for safety, things like that. We pray through events that come up. If someone is in need of prayer, if a tragic thing happened um, that we hear about in the church or whatever, Bree and I will gather for prayer. But anyway, so... Texting. I text you probably daily saying yeah, we're, certain so, prayer requests. Yeah, so, and yeah, we try to be in prayer as individuals all throughout the day. I mean, it would take too much time to even talk about all the individual ways that yeah. each of us pray. We live um, a life of prayer. That right, is good. We right. can grow, but yeah. Right, so there's there's overlap, obviously, where we are praying for each other, That. You can find that in prayer journals, you can find that in text, you can find that in our individual minds throughout the day. But as far as us actually praying together, it's been less and less one-on-one the more kids that we've had. It's not to say that we pray less as a family. We definitely we pray more, we definitely as, pray yeah. more now. I pray more now as a family and individually than I did at the beginning of marriage. Yeah, same here. But together we pray less right. because we have less time we're filling our prayer time with kids most of the time are around too right right so whereas brie and i used to lay in bed at night whenever we would get in bed because we could go to bed whenever we wanted back then (laughs) but now brie is usually putting henry to bed in a different room that i'm putting the girls to bed in a room so we're praying at 
in different rooms, but we're both praying. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes we get to bed at different times because Henry will do this or the girls will do that or I'll have homework i got to stay up and work on or this or that. And so we're not always synced up in the way that we might have been as uh, newlyweds, but it's not to say that we pray less. We definitely right. pray more. And I'd say also early in marriage, we had a lot more crisis prayer. Yes. Uh, so big things would happen. Things would fall apart and we would run to each other in prayer, which is a good thing. We, we, we're doing that right. And you should do that when things are falling apart. But part of building a healthy marriage and healthy home is being people of prayer all the time. That's not to say that if you pray, nothing bad is going to happen. Things are going to happen. But the fact of the matter is, is unity, fellowship in the home is going to be a lot smoother when you are people of prayer right. and maintaining that. Kind of the, this theme that's ran through some of these questions is making sure that you have proper preparation um, yeah. so that things don't hit the fan. Part of that is being prayed up all the time, making sure that you're communicating well. We're always on the same page. There's not huge, big marriage issues that we're having to pray through because we talk about them all the time. But there's not like, there used to be, I was feeling heavy about something. Maybe it was in our marriage or maybe it was hormonal. Maybe it was the kids, something I was feeling heavy about. And I would be feeling heavy about that for a couple weeks. I would maybe mention it to him, but we weren't regularly praying about it. And I was trying to just, you know, kind of like shove it down and, you know, keep shoving it down. Suppression never works. Yeah, suppressing it because I didn't want to be naggy. A whole month of that would happen and then there your crisis prayer is. Then I come to Mason and I'm like just a mess at that point. You know, like the kids have been too much or we're having this problem in marriage or, you know, whatever. And there's the crisis. And it may not even be a huge crisis, but it's like it all piled up and here's the blow. Right. And so I, like you said earlier too, not in this podcast, but when we were talking before about it being maintenance, and I like that word because it's kind of like, we know if we keep up with a car, it's going to run better. It's going to be nicer. It's going to last longer. And that kind of goes the same with marriage, with anything, with prayer, but with everything in marriage. If you're keeping up maintenance, if you're doing those things, the small things, then the big things aren't going to happen as much. And when they do happen, you're kind of more prepared for them. Right, right. Yeah, and another just a small tip as marriages get busy, life gets busy, you have more kids. Part of a way to redeem that time is utilizing some cool apps. So there's an app called Voxer, mm-hmm. and we use that to pray together. I use that to pray with some of my pastor buddies, um, and I've used it just to pray with friends. Um, it's a it's a really cool app. It's just a voice app. You click a button, and it records your voice, and you can send it. And that might seem like a waste of an app, but it's actually a lot easier than making a phone call because you don't have to be committed, which that is really important when you're a mother uh, because your hands are full. You can't always pick up the phone and answer. Kids are cranky and fussy and you can't listen to it um, at that time. And it's also really convenient on like the husband's end because then he can redeem time like going to work. That's when I would send Brie Vox's. Uh, when I would go to work, I have a 30-minute drive. That's a really good time to pray rather than listening to the radio and getting stressed about the news. Um, <laughs> pray, prayer is always better than listening to the news. Yeah, that's good. It's important to pray. So if you're not praying as a married couple, if you're newlyweds or you're about to get married, make a habit to pray. I remember, I don't know exactly when it was in marriage. It was very early in marriage, like 
super early, like within the first few months that we started actually praying together before bed. And I'm so glad that we started. Start, like even if you're engaged, pray together. Make that a habit because that will unify you in more ways than you can think. All right, next question. So we're not exactly sure what the person wanted from this question. So we're going to kind of come at it from two different ways because we want to make sure we're answering it rightly. So the question is, what should slash does privacy look like in the home in regards to the marriage relationship? So there were two ways that we thought this question could have gone. Maybe they're talking about privacy, like alone time between husband and wife, like getting alone or like having locks on your phone, those types of things. Or it could also be meaning privacy as far as um, how much do you talk about your marriage to others? We're going to answer it both ways because we don't know which way they wanted it. So first, alone time. Yeah, yeah. So I'll assume that they're talking about internal privacy rather than external because this is a house-to-home podcast pertaining to the home. So within the home, how much privacy, if any, do you give your spouse? What are the right boundaries? It, it really depends on what they're asking in that question. If they're asking if it's a good thing for your husband to have alone time, to kind of have time of meditation, prayer, reading. Now, if you're talking about privacy when it comes down to things like a husband or wife has a lock on their phone and they absolutely will not tell the other spouse uh, what the passcode is, not good. Yeah, that's usually not a good sign. <laughs> uh, there's, If there's something to lock out, that means that they're obviously not being as open that they could in their marriage, and that usually means that there are things that uh, they're being hidden. Yeah. So um, I would not recommend any kind of privacy in that category. So when, it's comes, when it comes to laptops, phones. Technology in yeah, general. Yeah, technology in general, or even like safes. Like if you have a safe that your wife is not allowed to get in it's or weird, yeah. yeah, it's, it's just weird. Um, I don't think it's being as open and vulnerable in your marriage as you should be. So that's, that's the internal side. I think that we've covered that. Yeah. Pretty we much don't as have privacy in our home. There's like, zero there's... <laughs> privacy in our home. Doors are always Probably... open. Kids are always walking into the bathrooms. Like there's just no privacy. And some people may not like that. Some people may need a little bit more privacy than that. Like they want to go to the bathroom and be able to shut and lock the door, which is fine. Um, But I will say that the type of household that we have with that zero privacy, where someone can even walk into the bathroom on me and that be all right, makes me completely at ease. You know what I mean? Like I'm, I'm completely at ease knowing that there's nothing fishy ever going on in my home. I mean, some parents and families just never really have much privacy. Right. It depends on th- it depends on the reason behind the privacy. Why do you want the privacy? I think that'll be a really big telling right. story cuz again, we run into all these new problems uh, when we look at marriages and households um, all throughout history. I mean, for the probably majority of history, most people didn't own a home with as many rooms and places to get away from the other spouse. Um, I mean, upper class people did. Obviously, there's been homes that had lots of rooms for quite a while. But the reality is, is that for most of history, the average person had a household where there was pretty much no privacy. So now that we do have privacy, things can get weird. 
but only if you make them. I think that households yeah. generally should, everyone should be on the same page. There should be a unifying goal. Everyone should be on the same uh, page as far as where we're going with the household. And if you're trying to hide a part of the household, I think that that is disrespecting the household as a whole. Yeah. Um, if you're trying to hide something, if you just need privacy to think through something, that's different. But it depends yeah. on what, again, the goal is of privacy. If privacy is for hiddenness, probably not good. If it's right. for... Um, like if you want to take a bath in the evening and you're like, this is my alone time, kids, husband, I'm going to light some yeah, candles and take a that's bath. Different. That's fine. But like you said, if there's nothing fishy going on, then it shouldn't be a big deal if somebody accidentally walks in or needs something out of the bathroom and they just leave you alone and then go. You know what I mean? Or if the husband wakes up early to read his Bible and have alone time and his coffee or whatever, or the husband takes a step outside to smoke his pipe, whatever. But, um, yeah, if you're hiding something, that's different than having alone time. Okay, so the second way we could answer this Hmm. is sharing. So sharing may be marriage problems, transparency. That's a huge thing right now, being transparent with maybe friends or small groups or your pastor or your in-laws um, how much do you share about your marriage how much do you share about the good the bad the ugly right I'm generally of the opinion that your marriage stays inside the home if you're having issues then obviously you should reach out I don't think that when you're having issues that you should keep those in again we said suppression never works right. so if you're having a hard time reconciling between the two of you I'm not against counseling I think that right. counseling's good I think you should find it in the right place I think that you should be looking first um, to your pastor and I think that even when you bring it to your pastor you should have a wise enough pastor to keep it in that room between the three of you there I'm generally for I wouldn't even say secrecy I would call it privacy right. of marriage But at the same time, I do think that there is value in recognizing that no marriage is perfect, and we should be vulnerable to that fact. That obviously, Bree and I, we would say we have a great marriage. Yeah. Um, But at the same time, we're willing to say, yeah, we have hard days, we have struggles. But you don't need to know those struggles. (laughs) You don't don't need to know what we have a hard time in our marriage about because we are a unified whole. We are together, we are one, and we are going to keep that front of being one to the world. I think about when Noah got drunk and his children walked backwards to cover his nakedness. They covered him. They didn't expose him. But one of them looked, right? And Noah cursed him. And so that's just an example there of keeping the privacy in the home. And that could even go for your kids. Like, don't flaunt your kids' sins Mm, to everyone. Don't tell everyone about your husband's sins. And that's not to say that we're not transparent in the fact that if someone comes to us and asks a question, like, have you ever dealt with this? We're not going to say no and lie or, like, you can't know that. You know, we're going to be transparent, but we're not going to go flaunting the dirty laundry to everybody, especially while it's going on. So when you're having a problem kind of just make a habit and a promise to yourself not to talk about it while it's going on unless you're seeking help like unless you're seeking counseling like you said don't go no passive aggressive facebook posts (laughs) yeah none of the instagram like it's just been such a hard day and then like everything you did bad but there's like no true repentance yeah um 
like, did you truly repent or are you just saying it on Facebook so that everybody can say, so oh, girl, me too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there it's hard because I do think there is a, a transparency there that is healthy, especially you can help other people. Podcasts, for instance, you can help other people by talking about the things that you've struggled with and the things that you've overcame and that sort of thing. But if you're in the middle of a problem, um, there's no reason for you to be going around and talking about that to people or being transparent, especially when you're in the midst of it because you're so vulnerable right then. And if the problem isn't fixed and you're being transparent about it to just whoever at that moment, then it's not going to get fixed. You should be transparent to your husband or to your wife about your feelings and wanting to get past this or to your counselor, or your pastor. But other than that, I do think it's good to yeah keep the privacy. Right. You can maintain privacy while also being honest too. So if someone comes up to you and they can tell that things haven't been going well, there's no reason why you should tell them things are fine. We have a good marriage. You shouldn't, <laughs> you shouldn't lie to them. Uh, you should be honest about it. You can even say, um, yeah, things have been hard, but we're working on it. If, right. if you are working on it genuinely, there's no reason why that person needs to know what's going on. If you are on track for reconciliation, even if it's without a counselor, if it's just the two of you and you feel like things are actually making progress, there's no need to share that with that person because you never know who that person might tell. Right. And there's no reason that that person needs to know. Yeah. And what does it do to your heart, too, when you're talking about your husband or you're talking about your marriage? Check yourself. What is it doing to your heart? Are you venting? You know, because we need to vent to the Lord. We don't need to go venting and being a whisperer or a gossip or a slanderer or any of those things. What's it doing to your heart? What's it doing to your husband or your wife? Are you building up or are you tearing down? Yeah, so we put locks on our doors to give us privacy. And just like we have locks on our doors that we usually lock at night, you lock them at night because you are the most vulnerable at that time. You're sleeping, you can't protect yourself, you're at your weakest moment when you are asleep, and that's why we lock our doors before we go to bed. And likewise, when we're out in public, we should keep that part of our lives, that most vulnerable part of our lives that may be at its weakest moment, locked unless we've brought someone into the house. So whoever's in the house, when the doors are locked, that's fine. If you wanna bring someone else into your life, into your home, after the lights go out um, and at night, then you can do that. But unless you've invited that person in, you know who they are and you can trust them, it's usually a good idea to keep your doors locked on your marriage problems, your vulnerability. It's just a good idea to live your life as free as you can, where you can, but at your weakest moments, it's not a bad thing to put locks on your doors. This month's giveaway is sponsored by Honeymoon. Honeymoon is a coffee shop located here in Evansville, Indiana. Their light roast pour over is honestly one of the best cups of coffee you'll find in town. This month, they are graciously giving away one $20 gift card to one lucky follower. If you're not a town winner, they've agreed to ship you a bag of beans at absolutely no cost. Their beans are what I grind most mornings at home, and we're not only big fans of their coffee, but their breakfast food is delicious as well. They have several locations, and the shop on Burkhardt even has a drive-thru. Check them out if you're local and go to at House to Home Podcast on Instagram to enter the giveaway. It should be easy to find. Just look for the coffee.